and action. Okay, who forgot? Welcome to the Stack Exchange Podcast number twelve, attempt six. Okay, <laughs> it is. Can't even have a podcast. <sighs> well, uh, <laughs> Jeff, what's new, what's new with you this week? Stack Exchange Podcast twelve, go. Well, I think it's it's a continuation of the stuff that we talked about last week. Um, as far as what's happening on the Stack Exchange Network, the uh, the mobile support that we have, which is now getting quite good, was always quite good. So we, we have pretty much officially launched launched mobile support. Yeah, it was kind of, we had a private beta, then we have a public beta. We just kind of deployed it without telling anyone and saw what happened and asked for feedback. But then we announced it on the blog, so now it's officially sort of official that if you're on a device that is a small screen device you should get a special version of HTML that's much faster and more appropriate for a three to four inch screen rather than the desktop version that we had before. So that, cool. that's working pretty well. Yeah. And then the other thing that we deployed was inline editing. So if you, if you have uh, It's very web 2.0. Sorry, sorry, little interruption there. Um, if, if you have uh, a post on the screen that you want to change, you click edit this, this, you don't have to do a post back. You don't have to go to another page on the internet. Uh, the edit happens sort of right there on the page. Instantly. And does it make like yellow that fades away when you, when you submit it? Uh, kind of. There's some fade to go on. It's just typical jQuery type stuff. But it's very slick. It does make it very, very fast to edit things uh, rapidly. We want to incentivize editing. So those are really the two big things. And those are kind of the same from last week, but those were big changes. So I encourage everybody to check those out. I just went in today and edited a whole bunch of questions on the Apple Stack Exchange. Um, the titles. This is my new, my new job in life, is making titles like like literate. It's kind of interesting because there's like a million questions. For example, half of the time the question is like, uh, "Why can't I do X?" or "How how would I do X?" And you could either phrase that as "How do I do X?" or "How do you do X?" or "How does one?" Like it's not so easy to figure out exactly like what the what the tone should be in the in the titles when you actually try to attempt to make them consistent in some way. Um, but if you look at the homepage, in the title, you know, <laughs> if you look at the homepage of Apple Stack Exchange right now, first of all, you'll see that I'm I've edited every single thing on the homepage, and secondly, you'll see that um, there are no longer any spaces in front of the question marks. Everything's a question. It's all grammatical. It's all got consistent capitalization for the most part. Right. Well, titles are a big deal. I mean, that's the one area where I, I kind of frown on titles that small edits to posts. But I, I don't mind a small edit to a post that changes a single word in the title. I totally approve of that because titles are so important to get right. Yeah, they. Um, it just makes the front page of the site look more literate. And uh, we have. Uh, by the way, I don't know where we're going to edit this thing. But for those of you that came in after we chopped off the beginning of the podcast, um, Patrick McKenzie is here with us. Um, who you may know from Hacker News and other internet sites as Patio11. He's the creator of Bingo Card Creator. So you're the Bingo Card Creator creator. Did I say that right? Or yeah. Or should I just kill myself now? That's pretty meta, though. Yeah. And, uh, and you have a, uh, Patrick, you have a new app for scheduling dentist appointments. Uh, yeah, it's more for giving uh, reminder calls to people or reminder SMSs. Oh, yeah. It's called Appointment Reminder because I am cheap. Appointmentreminder.org because that was eight ninety five instead of $20,000. Wow. <laughs> anyway, the other thing about editing the titles, which is why I wanted to 
Patrick there because Patrick is sort of you know one of the world's experts on um, doing things that search engines can 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 recognize and, and find, and so obviously our titles are a major component of what search engines see about our site and what they think a page means comes from analyzing the uh, search engines, the uh, titles. Bah. So um, so one of the things that I'm being careful to do with the title actually is not to change any of the choice of words unless it's like literally illiterate if, if somebody used a particular choice of words um, for example if they said my, my you know iMac freezing intermittently right so the freezing and intermittently I could change that to you know crashes occasionally or seizes up often or whatever um, but you know uh, you know part of our goal is actually to occupy the mental space on the questioners side if that makes any sense so totally. we're trying to get we're trying to get answers to specific questions and you may have a group of people that don't know the word freeze and they say my computer you know seizes up and um and, and if somebody asks that question then we want it to be found as seizes up because essentially we're trying to get every question the way it's worded so the search engine has a chance of finding it mm. um what else what was another example of that? You know, a lot of times it comes from like, what is this thing, you know, like, like people have different words for describing things or, you know, one of the questions that people are having comes from the fact that they don't actually know the terminology for that thing uh, that they're experiencing. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things that it's sort of a running gag when I report um, uh, questions my customers have had for me is that many don't know the word browser because most oh. of my software is, is uh, software as a service these days. You get to it through a browser. And the most common sort of organic way to describe browser is, quote, the Googles. So, you know, <laughs> I open the Googles. Wait, the Googles? The Googles. What? Where do they get the plural version of that from? I don't know. But if you talk to, um, without loss of generality, so most of my customers are like uh, <laughs> later 50s females. So if you talk to them, you'll hear about the Googles all the time. I open the Googles. <laughs> And then yeah. I, you know, clicky on the purple thing, and then I get taken to my bingos, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that is sort of a weird thing of using, using my to refer to something that is not yours at all, actually. Mm -hmm. And then I went to my Google, and I... Patrick, that's interesting that you... So, for the bingo card, no, no. Are you still doing a lot of bingo card stuff, or is that, like, in the past? Um, so... The software still exists. Lots of people still use it. It's largely in maintenance mode, which is basically, you know, I, uh, I answer support emails from customers and I cut checks to freelancers, and that's about the extent of my involvement. Like, there's no major, you know, bingo card creator 4.0 that I could conceive of writing because it just doesn't make sense to me right now. I liked that story, and, and I'm sure this will be in the show notes, but the bingo card stuff was really fascinating because it was, I think, a good example of programmers tend to build programmery things. You know, like we built Stack Overflow, which is obviously deeply programmery, and Stack Exchange is our attempt to sort of deprogrammer it a little bit. But it's just interesting that, that what I loved about that story was that you started with something that was so unprogrammery, like bingo cards. Like what programmer says, you know what I really love? Bingo, right? And you just used it as a, as a case study. It was almost like the MacGuffin. It was like the thing that isn't really the thing to talk about this, like how do you make this a business? How do you make X a business where X is like a widget? Um, I really enjoyed that part of the story. And then another side effect of that is you get an audience that's very unlike, you know, even Joel, even for Fog Creek audience. I mean, that's like IT and small business. And this is mm -hmm. like, you know, women in their 50s. It's like, how do you, 
How would you making the that connection audience? with your audience is really tough. I mean, that's that's a f- it's a really interesting challenge that you you took on there, Patrick. Well, it's funny. I don't know if I would have an audience in the same sense that you guys have an audience. Uh, most of the people who find out about me are in very kind of goal directed mode. Like they want to play, you know, Halloween bingo tomorrow, and so they search for Halloween bingo and they find it because I'm very effective at SEO for that. Um, but there isn't like a group of, you know, 20,000 teachers who are tuning into me every week to hear the latest and greatest in, you know, classroom bingo innovations. Um, but one of the nice what things about Halloween bingo, good heavens. So imagine you have a room full of like, you've got a room full of sugared up fifth graders who, uh, they've had their candied apples. They've been given candy. They're starting to eat lots of it in class. And yeah. they are hyped off the walls, and you want to have something that, you know, they are theoretically in a public or private school and are theoretically in instructional mode, but real- realistically, no work is getting done that day. So right. you play a game with them, uh, Halloween bingo, where each like s- cell on the card has a different Halloween vocabulary word, and then you oh, tell I them, I don't know, Google jack o' lantern, and then they get right. some reading practice on finding the word jack o' lantern. And then the first two fill up five in a row, column, or diagonal wins. And then you give them even more candy. That That's Halloween awesome. bingo in a nutshell. Yeah. Now, uh, oh, and the, I see you've, the, got, the, so you've got HalloweenBingoCards.net. Yep. Um, and the title is Halloween Bingo Cards. And it's got a nice description. It's got a meta description. Printable Halloween Bingo activities for you to enjoy. It's number four on Google after some spam, it looks like. It's some kind of garbage that's up here. Yeah, it's typically around number one in October, but I haven't built any links to it for a while. Um, so I own a bunch of these, like, you know, they're called exact match domain names among SEOs. An exact match domain name is when the query, if you strip out all the spaces, exactly matches the .com, .org, or .net domain name that you own. Um, if you're an exact match domain with respect to that exact query, you get a huge, huge bonus, like... Um, uh, typically, the thing that determines who ranks for very competitive searches is who has the most links or the links containing that anchor text. But if you mm-hmm. have an exact match domain, you kind of punch above your weight. So like if Harvard University, which is one of the most trusted domains on the Internet, published Halloween bingo cards, they probably yeah. wouldn't beat this domain. Wow. Um, now, so that was totally true. A year ago, I haven't built a single link for it for a year, so it's starting to fall a little bit in the rankings. But if I was to, I don't know, lean on two of my buddies and say, hey, could you blog in your blog that Halloween bingo cards exist at this domain name? Or if I put a link to it prominently for my blog, it's kind of likely I would get back up to All right, uh, Alex is taking care of that for you. You, were, you, yeah, sure you, want, say you don't want Thanksgiving Halloween cards? or Could you do cards? Halloween instead? Halloween. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell me whatever you want. I'll put in the show notes X. Blank bingo cards, and, and, and I'll anchor text that to you. Oh, Halloween bingo cards, please. Uh, <laughs> so do you, do you have like a, a sense for how big the Halloween bingo card market is? Because if you don't, this will blow your mind. No, okay, but I really want to know now. Okay. I would say it's about $2,000 a year. Okay, so it's about 300,000 people who search for it. Wow. 300,000. And if I ranked number one consistently for like the entire month of October, that would be worth like over $20,000. Uh, last year it I was it, only worth eight thousand. That's pretty decent. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah. And and who monet? I mean, how do you monetize on that? I'm assuming it's just advertising, or do you charge for the th- service? Oh heck no! I charge money for value. No, um, it's like uh, I'll give people up to fifteen bingo cards of whatever they want free. 
but most teachers don't have 15 students in the classroom. They have 24 or they have 27 or whatever. And if they want to print more than 15, then they have to pay me $30. And that's my entire business model. Like parents can get it for free because most of them don't have 16 kids. Teachers have to pay me 30 bucks. Fair enough. Soak the teachers. Well, we have, um, you know, my, my, a long time ago, I had this theory that you could have, you know, uh, millions of people all having the same question, but they're phrasing it in different ways. They use different words and different terminology to kind of express it. Yeah. So, uh, are they, uh, are they actually moving offices right now during the podcast? I mean, <laughs> why would you not move an office around during the actual podcast? <laughs> This is the worst podcast ever. This actually can be super entertaining for people watching the live stream because they're just going to see an endless parade of our sales team walking by, like carrying filing cabinets and books and computers. Uh, I don't. So think one thing I wanted to mention, um, Patrick, is I was reading that the Google had actually changed. One of my big beefs with a lot of the Google results was this this hoisting of domains that just happened to match the thing you're searching way way above the norm like i mean i guess that made more sense when domains actually cost money to buy um so i think you're sorry i don't mean to step over you but i think you might be conflating two things like there's the exact match domain bonus which is you know that there's an actual bonus there and then what a lot of people see they see spammy domains with like a hyphen in them or something and it happens to match their keywords, and they think, oh, they're giving that hyphenated domain a bonus. They're not. It's just that, like, the person who who thinks the hyphenated domain is getting him a bonus is also doing some other SEO stuff that actually works. So if you so see, wait, like... So the hyphen is a negative, or the hyphen turns off the exact match bonus or something? Or? Right. You get, well, you get I no exact match bonus for hyphenated domains because... You know, you can create like an infinite number of hyphenated domains or domains with like a number in them or whatever. And so Uh, then that only proves that you were able to spend $8 and $8 isn't a good signal of quality. But if you were the first person on the Internet to a particular concept, you're probably, you know, fairly authoritative for that. Or you've paid someone else a whole lot of money. Like, you know, you guys are either you're authoritative for Stack Overflows or you were – you found the guy who registered stackoverflow.com first and paid him like an absurd amount is Google's like no knowledge mm-hmm. uh, hypothesis of it. So yeah. with regards to Stack Overflow, you should be more more valuable, I guess, than any like random Stack Overflow all hyphens dot co, which that right. just proves somebody paid two bucks. We dominate Stack Overflow questions on Google. But well, um, there's an exact quote here I want to put out. It's from SEO... SEOptimize.com, spelled the European way, by the way, not the Z, <laughs> yes. And it says, and I quote, exact match domains. For years, so-called exact match domains, e.g. SEO.com, for the query SEO have been the best bet to rank quickly and stay on top. The good times seem to be over, however. Um, and I, I, they don't, unfortunately, a typical SEO article, they don't provide a lot of data backing up the Yeah, these guys, it's just so easy to be an SEO blogger. You can just make <laughs> crap just, up and nobody has any way of testing But it. I really would be glad to see this because I think a, I would say half of the problems I saw and Google has addressed some of this with Panda and some of the stuff post-Panda, but a lot of it was just like, I remember searching for an iPhone 4 case was the worst <laughs> experience I think I've ever had because at all these exact domain matches that just sucked. They were like, oh, yeah. iPhone 4 case.com iPhone 4 this, and they were all total crap. You know, it was almost like Matching in the domain was a better indicator of sucking and actually helping me. So I was really bitter 
that anyway, I was glad to see, but it, that's the reason I brought it up. It wasn't just me randomly. It was me randomly pointing to another random SEO thing. Let's try now. What was it? I, iPhone 4 case? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. This was around Christmas, though, which uh, apparently there's a lot of complaints around Christmas because... Yeah, those sites are gone. There's nothing. There's not a single one that has a domain name on the first page of the uh, Google results. This is a big change because I swear to you, the last time I did this, it was like iPhone four this, iPhone four this, iPhone. 4 yeah, this. yeah, yeah. You're right. A lot of those. Uh, I think that Google. Oops, sorry, well, I talked over someone. Yeah, since the four will kind of like numbers don't really count for exact match domains usually, and don't take this as the absolute gospel truth. This is just my understanding of it. So it's probably again that. They weren't ranking on the strength of that domain. It was just a bunch of people who they knew there was a huge market opportunity and they SEO'd using anything they could think of. And in a new huge market opportunity where there's nobody legitimately ranking for it already, you're going to get the you know most savvy black hat and or grayish hat SEOs on the front page. Like because you know they raffle stomp over somebody who just did a, a blog post which happened to be like you know tangentially related to iPhone four cases 30 minutes ago. I think that Google now um, uh, incorporates the who is data for a domain to, as to who actually owns the domain. Um, so if, when, there, when there's somebody that owns a million bad domains that are all problematic, that can sort of carry, you know, carry on yeah, to that, a new domain that they've never seen before will, you know, will be born with a negative just because it's owned by Demand Media or, or <laughs> eHow or one of those companies. Yeah, they've been doing that for a while. Um, they previously had, especially with the with regards to like pure spam, um, they had internal tools where they could kind of like trace the network based on things like, say, registration data or co-located IPs or um, mm -hmm. footprints within the code. Like a lot of uh, Black Hat spammers will have a network of uh, blogs that are, all run the same WordPress uh, themes and WordPress plugins. So you can mm -hmm. imagine like, algorithmically footprinting out their entire network of 200, 203,000 different sites and then burning it all at once. Um, mm -hmm. That's like SEO lingo for <laughs> cause to disappear from the index is burn. So, yes, the Google death penalty. The Google death penalty. They can burn people too. Um, there's there, there's <laughs> no. at least one or two people. No, like, hey, we had lunch there the other week. It was totally, totally innocuous. Burn people to lunch. I'm not getting the connection. Yeah, there was no burning of people. I was at their. I was at the Googleplex. They were not. They were not really burning anybody on the Googleplex <laughs> that we were there. No, no. I mean, like, uh, there's somebody That's who spy lingo. Joel. Spy lingo. Have you ever watched Burn oh. the Show? Come on, Joel. Get with it, man. Yeah. Joel, Joel's CIA credentials have lapsed. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, the idea is like you can give someone a. Um, Basically, in order to get off the internet, like any project that you were associated with for henceforth is not going to be loved in the eyes of Google. <laughs> um, how, how, do they know that, how do they know that you're based on what? Based on your ownership of a domain or your name in the comments in the CSS file? Or based on, you know, you've been reported by a competitor in their all purpose report box that uh, this is actually owned by, you know, evil SEO number 67. And if they think that's likely to be true, they just hit the magic burn button on it. Um, you were supposed to do this algorithmically, not with human intervention. Yeah, Google, that they go both ways on that question, depending on when you ask them. They don't. I don't we think just, they want. It, if it were the case that they were making individual human decisions, um, they they would then be held accountable for those decisions, and so they don't want you to think that they are. Mm -hmm. 
I definitely think there's they're they're very good about the PR messaging on that and a lot of other things. I should I should mention like I love Google with like an asterisk. Like I think they're the best company in the world and they've done more for, you know, the average human being than any other company in the last 20 years. Asterisks. Um they're not they're probably not as good with a capital G as they think they are. And that's the asterisk. All right. Well, what do you think about uh, questions, question titles? Like one thing that I've been doing here is um, rewriting everything to be a full, a full question. Like how do I question mark, question mark, as opposed to just a, you know, a couple of keywords, which is what people have been using. Is, is that, is that going to penalize us or help us or does it not um, matter or do you not know? Hard to tell. Uh, I, so personally, in terms of user experience, I would like to see you know actual English on the page when I look at it. In terms of um, things on the title, um, so in addition to just getting like you know keyword bonuses for things in the title, they're actually going to be echoed on the uh, SERP search engine result page. So uh -huh. you're thinking when this shows up, it's going to be competing against like ten blue links, and what? what can I put in the title such that it makes uh, most likely that my site gets the click versus one of oh, these other sites getting the click. So, so a well-written, a well, well-written full English sentence question is actually likely to um, be easier to read and easier to scan and just seem friendly and helpful. And you'll well, say, one would oh, help, right. there. Or we'll, and, yeah. and you also like, I don't have data to substantiate this one, but if you, you know, if you do product searches, you're going to get a lot of things where it's like, you know, name of site, bar, product keyword, product keyword, product keyword, bar, cheap, product keyword, product keyword, product keyword, right? And so mm -hmm. when you look at it, when you look at a search engine result page that has eight results that look like that, it's it's clear that, the, okay, all these eight guys are in the box of probably not going to be too valuable for me. And then you have one other thing that's kind of the... Uh, uh, you know, it's the only buddy, only guy looking different on the page where it's clearly an actual human talking about it. So mm. I might go with the human first. Um, now, I don't know if that's average user behavior. Uh, that's the, the other asterisk thing. Like, um, so, you know, there's the, there's the, what is it, 11090 rule where 1% of people create the content and 10% of the people interact with the content and then 90% just passively consume the content. I don't know that the people who write questions are the same people who ask questions to their friendly neighborhood Google. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it might be worth like seeing, for example, if you think natural language is the best thing for titles, like try that on some sample of questions and then try not doing that on some sample of questions and see which ones actually get searched for more in aggregate. Yeah. That's kind of tricky. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that Google, if somebody types something in question format, you know, ignores the question words, the how, the how, why, what is. Uh, yeah, I, I would not think that would be the case, actually. Um, this is one of the reasons why eHow, one of the demand properties, did so freaking well. It's because they basically owned how to blah and how do I blah for pretty much yeah. any, anything well, like a Kansas school marm could conceive of asking. You know, how do I, this is my favorite one, how, how do, do I, I boil a glass of water? Corn? How do I file my taxes? <laughs> how do I donate a car in Kalamazoo? Um, that's an interesting one. You know, how do I donate a car in locality? Like one single click on an ad on that page is worth depending on locality, 20 bucks. So, you know, you can clearly see why getting a, that page written for $8 works out great for them. This is totally crazy. Some of these websites... 
how to cut a pineapple.com, <laughs> how to boil corn on the cob.com. These, these things exist. How to cook corn on the cob.com. Look, boiling corn on the cob is difficult. I'm glad there's a website about it. And it's got an advertising for web. Just, just, just order the corn on the cob. Now, one, one of my favorite, ex- uh, favorite examples of a site that is both SEO'd and actually useful, uh, if you search for Christmas cookies right now, you're going to get taken to christmas-cookies.com. Hmm. I'm doing it. Christmas cookies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, this is a site my SEO buddies and I point to it all the time. Uh, it's, like, they've clearly put some thought into how the SEO works, but it's also by you know, a, a noted expert on Christmas cookies to the extent that anyone can be an expert. She's published books, she appears on TV shows, and the Christmas cookies, like, if you actually go here and try to get a cookie recipe and you make it, it will work, which is not the same if you type how to make Christmas cookies and then get somebody on eHow who is like, uh, well, first right. you make a cookie and then you stamp <laughs> and me. <laughs> <laughs> which, which actually is probably a pretty bad idea, yeah. that That is actually very interesting. This is the kind of site that used to be uh, um, that basically Panda resurfaced these sites, I think, because there used to be millions of these like labors of love or whatever. You know, it's, I'm sure that there's ads on here and stuff, but it's um, uh, it's it's a it's a site by one person that actually knows about this topic, and they've created an awesome site about this topic. And uh, the the those were what eHow was basically pushing out, basically was dominating. You know, kind of wiping all of those individual sites from 1994 with uh you know these garbage generated sites that were written by freelancers getting paid a dollar to copy things off of the real sites yeah um i think that was certainly a factor for it i will say one thing for ehow and this is like a very 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 you know 15 asterisks on a qualified defense of them in that um like you know there's a finite amount of labors of love going on on the internet and maybe we don't realize that so much in our techie niche because, you know, there's so many techies and there's so many D&D players and there's so many people who care about, uh, I don't know, computer audio equipment. You could, you would never not have an answer to something. Well, okay, prior to Stack Overflow happening, uh, mm-hmm. maybe. But with Stack Overflow, you will never not have an answer for a programming question. But if you have a question that is really only asked by 40-something-year-old school moms in Kansas, it is entirely possible that there is no labor of love site on the internet that exactly answers that question. And um, for that, yeah. demand might, media sometimes was they actually... Might be, uh, they were actually doing something useful, you claim, for right. the first three, three days of their existence. But they weren't, right? Because they weren't actually doing the research. They were hiring people, paying them $6 to generate the page. And those people use the internet to research their $6 generated page. They didn't go to the library. So the amount, net amount of knowledge added to the internet was guaranteed to be zero. <laughs> they, they could right. only well, destroy knowledge in their recopying and their researching on the internet. Well, so, like, you know, kind of the Stack Exchange mission statement, right, is answering questions for which there are wrong answers. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that a school alarm in Kansas might need that don't really have a wrong answer. Like, how do you make a uh, paper snowflake? You know? Okay. How do you, you make... I can think of a wrong answer for that. Paper First, snowflake. get a car. Drive to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
like even someone getting eight dollars, if they if they describe what happened to them in kindergarten, like take a piece of paper, fold it, cut stuff. There, you have a paper snowflake. Like it's very <laughs> difficult to make an make an answer to that question that is damagingly wrong. In the same <laughs> way that so. dear God, if they were answering things on health, which was actually a major thing for demand media, they were doing like health stuff. Like, you know, is it lupus or should I take my child to the hospital if they have a nosebleed? Like, right. oh, God, the, the, the existence of that content on the Internet physically scares me. But for paper snowflakes and that sort of thing, they might actually have had like a little niche where they, you know, both created value on the Internet and maybe didn't screw up people's lives doing it. And that's, you know, this is my very, very, very qualified defense of them. Uh, it's not a model that I really love. Anyway, onward. Let's yeah. move on to the next thing. Enough about title quad. I'm not very good at the segues. Um, Jeff, you asked me to put on my list of things to talk about on my podcast, the Ask Me Anything concept. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a neat you concept. Wanna? We're seeing a lot more of this. So this is something that historically, where, did, where have you seen it, Joel? Just on Reddit mainly? Yeah, mostly Reddit. I, I actually did one somewhere. They, they asked me to, to do one on Reddit, and I s sat there and answered questions that people asked me about, about myself. So let, let's clarify. So there's two categories on Reddit. If we look at Reddit as the sort of the progenitor of this, the IMA, and then the uh, the IAMA. It's just, these acronyms are crazy. And then ask me anything. Emma. Yeah. Well, it's supposed so to be like I am a blah. Ask remember. me anything. No, there's no difference. You're just like I am a garbage trunk tr truck operator. Ask me anything. That's right. supposed to be the idea. Is that you? You sort of express not, who you are it, it is neat because l let's say you could ask someone you know super famous about something you know really really interesting that they've done this yeah. is definitely has appeal or you know something really mundane that's still weird like hey i was a prostitute ask me something i mean that's it's interesting right on some level right um and th there was i always thought the reddit format as with so many things on reddit the format kind of hurt it like i think a lot of reddit's I know a lot of people like Reddit's. So this is a little bit sacrilegious, but I find the format really damaging. <laughs> like I just can't read Reddit. Uh, it's very painful. Uh, but somebody started a website, AnyAsk, A-N-Y-A-S-Q. Is that correct, Joel? Let me make sure I'm saying this correctly. AnyAsk. Yeah, there it is. AnyAsq.com. And they kind of hoisted the format out of the not-so-great uh, layout on Reddit, but it's the same basic concept. You know, you have these people that are famous for something, or they're interesting because of something, and then people just ask them a bunch of questions, and you vote up the questions. Um, and, like, I think the most popular one is somebody who worked on Google+, and the answers are useful. That's what I like about it. When I look at web pages, I'm, I mean, I like entertainment. Don't get me wrong. I love a cat as much as anyone, but when I look at pages, I think, you know, what can I learn from this? How can this help me get better at something? Uh... And a lot of these are interesting, like the Google Plus one. You're learning like, sort of how they built Google Plus, um, some of the things they're going to bring to it. Um, one, of the, one of the questions that, that, that somebody tried to put on our network was, what did they use to build Google Plus, which is radically off topic for us. But it's great for this. It's perfect for this. And that's like the number one question. So I was encouraged to see that was a legitimate, a legitimate question, but it didn't really have a place to live on our network. So it's nice that there are other places uh, to put questions like that. So. Yeah, we keep talking about the Quora in that regard. Where, whereas the Quora, uh, the Quoras, Quoras, the the Quora is a place where um, 
uh, a lot of times the person answering the question is what actually makes the answer useful. Um, somebody might have a particular perspective that, that is interesting because of who they are, what they know, and the, 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 the question may be utterly boring except for the person who's answering it, um, or just like kind of like, you know, who cares? But when you see who answers it, that may be valuable. Right. Um, so I- I'm just reading the Ask Me Anything I did on Reddit. What would you say is the number one thing that Reddit gets wrong? <laughs> so the very, the very number, number one question was like, so enough about you. Tell us about Reddit. <laughs> there it is. If you were in charge of Reddit, what would you change? Yeah, that one was kind of stupid. <laughs> there's, but there's, there's sort of a lot of useful stuff there. And a lot of times it's just like, hey, this person's a celebrity. Um, but um, more often than not, it's just, um, you know, here's a person who has life experience that you might be kind of intrigued by. I wonder what it's like to be that kind of person. <clears throat> Alex, hit the mute button. The other thing I want to mention that I like about any ASQ, any ask.com, is it's a very flat layout. What drives me crazy about Reddit is this idea that I want to read a threaded discussion um, where all of a sudden it's just pushing so far to the right. It's like I don't even care anymore. Well, that's going off all these tangents that totally don't matter. Whereas here, this is much more like a, honestly, it's like a stack exchange model. It's like you start with a question, then answer, answer, answer. Oh, yeah, you're right. They copied our little up arrows and our down arrows. Not exactly, but. And then I like that on the sidebar it has, okay, here's the upcoming questions that, you know, we think this person should answer next. It's oh, really and nice you can layout. vote it's on nice what f- question the person is. That's interesting. Do people answer, have to answer all the questions? Because the great thing about the Ask Me Anything on Reddit is that um, I didn't have to answer anyone that I didn't feel like a- answering, even though it was Ask Me Anything. And, but then the people would tend to vote up the ones that I had answered. So... Um, you know, if I if I ignored one, it wouldn't be sort of stuck like a sore thumb at the top with me just ignoring it and refusing to answer it. It would sort of tend to disappear to the bottom. So basically, things that people wanted me to answer, and like I don't I don't know that the Reddit model is so broken for asking me anything. This might be a little bit better. I think it's profoundly broken. I can't, I can't even read it. I mean, this is so much better. Like just just changing the layout is everything here. You could take the exact same content and put it in this format, and it would be ten times better. But I mean, maybe that's just. Uh, yeah, it's clean, but it's not like if you're a Reddit person, then, then you don't really see all the Reddit craft that you're just used yeah, to. Yeah, there's some stupid joke that goes on for 20 lines and goes way off to the right that's awesome for you. <laughs> it's like, you're repeating a line for a movie. Then I'll repeat a line for a movie. Then you'll repeat a line for the movie. It's like, awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. like, get this out of my face. If I could delete that page from the internet, I would. Well, you're, you don't like Reddit. That's okay. But for people that like Reddit, that stuff's, that stuff's fine. I know. It's entertainment. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it gets in the way of the information. Like, if this guy was actually on Reddit and they were doing that, I would be pissed off. I'm like, look, this is a useful thing and you've polluted it with your stupidity. <laughs> I guess I, this is where I put on my Paul Graham hat, right? Yeah. And I say, okay, this is more like Hacker News. This is serious business, right? And, uh, <laughs> we're doing serious things with serious people here. Um, did you see, uh, one thing that's worth mentioning since, you know, Hacker News is kind of like Reddit with some of the stuff changed to make it more information dense, they got rid of displaying upvotes and that's kind of sticking, isn't it? They no longer display upvotes. Um, like when I go to a random hacker, it's, it's, news it's site. interesting. Actually, you can see upvotes on your own thing that you wrote. Of course, if you write something, you can see how many people voted it up, and things are still ranked by number of votes, so you can tell what's good. But you can't see how many votes other people got. I that that you know what? I think that ruined hacker news. Ruined really? it. They need to fix it. It's sticking though. Is my point is like I think they try it's this stuff. It's just sticking because Paul Graham did it, and then he was like, "Yeah, okay, I guess it's better." But I don't think he pays as much attention to Hacker News as he pays attention to other things. And um, this, uh, for one, uh, drives me crazy. Uh, 
because, and I'll tell you why, a lot of the value from Hacker News came from the information that was, what do other people think about this comment? Because if you assume that the Hacker News base knows something, I mean, if you think about it, if you remove that from Stack Overflow, you still listed it in order, but you remove the number of votes, you just kind of can't tell, like, is, is this right? You, you see somebody writing something, and you say, wait, could that possibly be right? I don't know. And you, you want the information of, like, what do some smart people here think? Well, I, I think it's a, yeah, it's really, it's real, there's a real loss of information there when you don't know, you don't have everybody basically voting on what the best answer is. I mean, they're voting and it's sorting, but you don't really see, like, what do people think about this? So I'll give you a couple of examples on Hacker News. Somebody writes something that is snotty and rude, and you can't see that it was voted down. So you think, wait, it'll still turn gray if it gets downvoted. Well, okay, if it's voted down. But, I'm, but I mean, yeah, if it's actually it's like getting like minuses and stuff like that. But, um, you know, a lot of times you just, you, you see three or four comments. Maybe it's a new thing. Some of them are smart and some of them are stupid. And uh, you, you just sort of wonder about the audience. Whereas it used to be that you were like, oh, this is a really smart audience. This is awesome. And, and you got a lot of signal out of how many votes up something got. Well, Sometimes, you know, you got, you got comfort. Somebody would write something that seems kind of dumb, and then you would reply to it, and you would see that the dumb person got one upvote and that you got 14 upvotes. And you'd be like, okay, I'm not crazy here. I'm actually right because I got 14 upvotes and he got one upvote. And, uh, and that signal is now c gone. You can't see that at all. It's just missing. Well, I so think it's really also like useful. In oh, sorry. I think that's also ahead. useful in kind of conveying community norms to new members of the community. Like, mm -hmm. if if you're not really a talker, you don't really get a sense these days of the sort of things that Hacker News values in response. Like, you know, the little one-liner Redditism is not what we kind of consider as normative. We'd rather have someone maybe talk a little more length, not go for the pithy response, and attempt to add value. And mm -hmm. there's there's definitely like I'm kind of agnostic on the change myself, but I think there's sort of anecdotally more people coming in these days who are giving Reddit-esque responses and then not adjusting to negative feedback, uh, you know, over their next few weeks of use of it. Or is. lack of positive feedback. That's my right. point. When, when Joel stated it in terms of, okay, imagine the typical Stack Overflow question, but you just can't see any of the voting. Well, you're seeing a sort order, but you have no, no idea if that's based on zero votes or thousands of votes. And that's actually <laughs> a big, or negative votes, right? So you're losing... Joel's point is completely valid. You're seeing a sword order, so you're getting the value out of that, but you don't know if it's backed by actual data, which is kind of crippling. Um, what, what actually might be a better compromise, now that I've thought this through, Joel, is uh, mm. just showing, once it has a certain number of votes, just showing, okay, this has enough votes. Like this karma cap that, like, that uh, I think Slashdot did first, where once you have a certain amount of karma, you just have enough karma. Well, yeah. what Fleshlight has is you can, it get, I think it's, it's up to five votes and then that stops, right? Like it shows you basically zero to five and then it, it's just once it gets five stars, that's all, it, that's all you care about. Well, that would, that would kind of solve, it's kind of a half step, but it would solve the problem of A, you don't know how, if there's any signal, it could be zero votes, right? Right, right. Um, right but then right, you're right. not getting this, okay, pile on effect of, oh, this has 300 upvotes. Well, I better upvote it too because gosh, everybody loves this thing. <laughs> I don't think people do that. People are very strong-willed on the internet. They, they need to be consulted. They have their very strong opinion. I don't think the pile on effect is a real thing, personally. Like, I mean, I, I, it happens. I don't think there's any problem there. Uh, it doesn't bother me that, that things get linked to from Reddit and then we all of a sudden get 800 upvotes on an otherwise completely boring topic. It doesn't bother me because to, to me, it's, it's, it's just serving so many more people that it deserves some extra upvotes. 
it's just valuable to more people. Another complaint that we often get, in fact, somebody just emailed me about this the other day, is you have a post that has a lot of history and has a lot of 30 upvotes on one of the answers. You have another answer mm-hmm. that comes along that's really very, very good. Um, but it sort of languishes at the bottom of the sort order. Uh, now, granted, you can change the sort order, but the default sort order is by votes. It's like, how do you catch up to 30 votes? So if you compress the range... Ah, like, yes, that's true. There's no such thing as 30 votes. There's just one to five. And once you get to five, you're the max. That's so a really... Well, yeah. But there's I still going to be a better answer. Trade-offs. There's no I think what we're doing system. is fine. But I, I do agree about that. Is sometimes something gets 30 up votes and it's just not that good. It takes a long time to build up more votes on a, on a lower reputation thing. And... Um, I should bring up, like, the way I solve that is I tweet my answer, <laughs> and then everybody comes in, and I get 100 upvotes from people that follow me on Twitter. But that's that a little a, bit that was a, because everybody wait, can't you're, do you're, 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 That was also a very, very good answer that you gave. I mean, you're not it giving yourself good, enough credit. That's true, but I can probably get my Twitterer followers to vote on things. Um, but you're right. And, uh, um, but the, uh, the, the way that the Hacker News does that, which is actually kind of interesting, is something we never do, but they do, which is that if you have a lot of reputation and you submit a new answer to something, even if, it's, if that thing has been there for a while, uh, they give you more time at the top. So you get kind of more exposure at the top. And, and it used to be that you could see that it had zero votes. I don't think that, that it, it is anymore. I think that was sort of a weird side effect of this latest change of not showing the number of votes. So essentially, you'd be looking down the list, and you'd see the first answer would have zero votes, and it'd still be at the top. And you'd be like, why is that at the top? And it would simply be based on the reputation of that user that they got an extra bump on their question for a while. They got to spend more time at the top because they had such a high re- reputation. Which well, that's another reason to suppress. That's another reason to suppress the scores, though, because if you are going to... That actually does make sense, because the tyranny of the sword order is really profound. I mean, how do you right. combat the sword order? And you almost have to do stuff like that. Because if we did that on Stack Overflow, the amount of bugs we would get open on that, it's like, this zero-voted post is above the post with 10 votes. This is a bug. Yeah. Right? So that well, would prevent all have, the bugs. Um, you might, might want to highlight it as, like, new answer or something, so you don't even see the number of votes for a while. It just says new in that particular case. So you got an up arrow and a down arrow, and you can click the up arrow, and it works. But instead of showing the number of votes on that particular one, it just sort of shows the word new. So you're like, okay, this thing is here because it's new. And also, incidentally, because the person who wrote it has high reputation. And, um, you know, to some extent, there's a very high probability that somebody, either with a high reputation or a high average reputation, you know, you go on the average, average number of points that they got on their answer. Um, you know, there's a high probability that that's a good answer that you want people to s- spend some time with and to consider. Right. No, I, th- I think that's a great idea. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, folding into a system. I do think Let, that Paul Graham another... has a lot of really good thoughts on this stuff. Like, I, I know you're, you're, you don't like his change, but yeah. Adam I, I think he's smart the, enough not uh, to make changes that... Podcast. Don't. Alex, producer Alex, put him on the list. We'll invite him to the podcast. Okay. Um, oh, I can't upload a picture into the chat room? What's going on? I wanted to upload a picture. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but basically... Um, well, we, we have a math intern here, um, and, and he's done some, uh, um, some analysis. And, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people tell us is, why do you have all those points? Nobody cares about their reputation. That's stupid. You're making an immature, childish little game. Nobody, nobody's influenced by that. And, and other people tell us, you know, only about 10% of, 10 to 50% of people in a given game will even be playing the game. And the rest of it will, will just be ignoring it. Um, but we did, we, we have a statistic that, uh, um, that Tsao Chu, our math intern, found about um, what happens when somebody writes an answer 
um, what is the probability that they will return to, to post again on our, on our site? Uh, I think within the next four weeks. I don't remember the exact details of how he phrased it. But basically, given that somebody has just written an answer, what are the chances that they will return to uh, post again? They, they will essentially come back and spend more time on our site. If the answer that they wrote got downvoted, uh, the chances that they will write something else are 12%. Uh, if the answer got um, no votes, the chances that they'll return are 20%. If it got upvoted, even a single upvote, the chances that they'll return go up to 45%. And if their answer was accepted, the chances that they'll return and post again got up to 58%. So basically, they can get four stimuli you know there's basically four things that our system does to them when they post their answer um you know we either punish them by downvoting them in which case there's only a 12 percent chance you know all the way up to you know the answer gets accepted and they get a green checky and then there's a 58 percent chance so it's basically almost five times greater probability that they will return to our site if um, if their answer was beloved and they got that positive feedback no matter how utterly and completely and 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 mindlessly meaningless it is to get an upvote. Um, it does actually have meaning and it does dramatically influence people's behavior. So we're, we see a really, really strong effect, which we've never measured, we've only known about, uh, um, that, our, that our voting system is, is doing something to, at least to, to teach people the right behavior or, to, or possibly just to take the stupid people and make them run away. Right. I don't know about the direction of causality there because it could be that people who are you know, might be more invested in the topic or knowledgeable about the topic are both likely to come back because, wow, you know, new site on programming that I get to talk at, yay. And uh, mm -hmm. also more likely to get upvoted because they, you know, have some clue versus someone who wants to, how do I sum all the elements of an array in Java? Um, um, yeah, could be. But actually, I wanted to, um, so this interview was originally scheduled for like two weeks from now, and I downloaded a a thing on the uh, your guys's dump. I had a question in mind, and I wanted to do some research on it, but not done yet. But my hypothesis was that, like people who, like you have hyper contributing outliers on Stack Overflow, just like I'm, you know, the crazy always posting guy in Hacker News. You've guys got like John Skeeton Company, who they post thousands of great answers on any topic under the sun for their languages, and I'm thinking that those kind of people like disproportionately influence the first experience someone has with your site. Like if you an ask a question on .NET, all things being equal, you're probably more likely to get a to get a response from Josh Skeet than from, you know, random poster number one, two, three. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you break down the people who get their first, like their first interaction with the site is, bam, John Skeet has just written you a thesis on this. Oh wait, they're versus, new on the site. They don't even know who John Skeet is. Are you just they saying don't know, is, he writes really good quality answers? Right. He writes great quality answers. And, okay. you know, it, it's like, I think that my hypothesis, again, no data for this yet, is that someone would be more likely to come back if they got, like, the Skeet Bible on, you know, how to, I don't know, sort a hash table in .NET uh, versus someone else who just said, yeah, uh, you can kind of do that and then just wrote out like two sentences and maybe like, yeah, it answers the question, but it doesn't answer it to the degree that he might have. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I, we, we, now that's, those are, that's the probability of people coming back with uh, um, answers, with questions. So, so this, was, this was people who were writing, writing answers. So mm -hmm. might get slightly different results of people asking questions. And, um, you know, and I would expect that obviously if they ask a question and don't get a response, which is actually relatively rare on our system for somebody to not get an answer. 
Um, we do have an 80% answer rate on our war site. So. Well, one thing, the stats are a little weird there. Uh, John Skeet, as prolific as he is, is very much a drop in the bucket. It's a very large site now. I mean, the That's odds true. that you uh, get an answer by John Skeet are actually not that good. Uh, the, not odds that you'll get, <laughs> the odds that you'll get a good answer, I like to think, are actually quite good. Um, now, if you ask me yeah, a question, you know, there's a garbage in, garbage out factor there. But I, I think that the way to think of that, maybe, Patrick, is if you get a quality answer, which <laughs> I, I think you're likely to. Well, if we don't scope it just to John Skeet, like, you know, how, many, how much percentage of your user base would it take to, say, cover like 50% of the answered questions? Would it be like, you know, probably 5%, 8% it's somewhere a, in there? It's, a, it's kind of a fatter tail than you think, but I don't know the actual answer. Oh, okay. There, there are certainly the whales. I mean, I, I think there's really two audiences that you serve. One is the, the really people that are addicted to the system that really get a lot out of it. And for good reason. I mean, I read in an interview you did, you were a guild master in World of Warcraft. So you sort of know what it feels like to have time be spent and sort of disappear yep. from the world. Yep, yep. Uh, so ultimately, it's in service of this higher calling of, of learning. So they're getting something out of it. So I don't feel bad about that. Like if versus somebody who is addicted to being in a casino would be way worse for society. It's like being addicted to Stack Overflow. If that's the worst thing that happens to you, you're, you're still doing quite well in the big scheme of things. Uh, but it is true that, particularly on the smaller sites, uh, the last time we looked at this, it was basically like a core of maybe, I want to say a couple hundred users on our largest sites are really doing a huge percentage of the work in the system. So that is true in the aggregate. It's not just John Skeet. It's John Skeet and like a hundred of his buddies. There's always, yeah, there's always a power law, but but then there's sort of a surprising number of people who, who contribute at all. Like it's it's not, even on some of the sites, like we have um, we have a few sites where the number of people that post four times a month is surprisingly low. Like under ten people post four times a month on um, on some of our smallest stack exchanges, um, and yet there's still a lot of people coming in posting every day, even if there's nobody who's a, a regular. So, um, without actually having any data, I would say that there's just a bit of a fat tail there. That's that's a good thing to look at, though, Patrick. I mean, we can have Chichu look at that, or you know, if if you want to spelunk the data, um, and you need something for us, just just let me know. We have an NDA that people can sign if you need more. Um, don't forget to sign up for Stack Overflow Dev Days at devdays.stackoverflow.com. An awesome two-day conference where you learn a whole bunch of stuff. We're coming to Sydney, Australians. You need to get out there and sign up. Otherwise, we're not coming. London, Washington D.C., and San Francisco all in the fall. Jeff and I will be at many of them. Jeff, which ones are you coming to? I haven't fully decided yet. Not fully decided. So you, so that means that you now want to go on the Twitter and tell Coding Horror that he needs to come to your city. Um, and uh, I'll be at all of them because I love flying around on airplanes. Um, so devdays.stackoverflow.com. The whole thing. Thank you very much for listening to Stack Exchange Podcast number 12 with our special guest, Patrick McKenzie, who you can find at Patrick, where is your website where people should go to look for all the wonderful things that you've done on the internet? Uh, my blog is at calzumius, K-A-L-Z-U-M-E-U-S dot com. Calzumius dot com and also bingo card creator <laughs> and appointment reminder dot org. And <laughs> as patio 11 on the Twitter and uh, Hacker News. Um, and just reading Patrick's comments on Hacker News is probably uh, a, a good use of your time if, uh, if you're bored. Um, uh, we'll be back next week with graphic designer uh, Jin Yang, uh, who is the guy that designs all those awesome um, Stack Exchange uh, websites. So we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.